0: the series they saw him alive. We're ending the series today. It's the last last sermon in the series. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we saw this about three weeks ago, Paul Paul told us that a whole bunch of people saw Jesus. A A whole bunch of people saw him. But he mentions three in particular, Peter and James and himself. And those three guys, along with John, they shaped the Christian movement. I mean, Christianity in its current form exists because of those four guys. Three of them Peter and James and Paul died, died for the faith. And we've talked about Peter and we've talked about James. And so today I just want to come to Paul, the persecutor of the church. Because nobody has ever lived a life like Paul. No one has ever been such a cruel persecutor of the church. And then himself have been so cruelly persecuted in his faith. It's an amazing story. And uh, before I get to the passages, this is kind of what I I just want you to see from the message today as we wrap this up. Paul saw the resurrected Jesus. His appearance to Paul changed Paul's life. And as a result of that appearance, Paul influenced the way people, all people, would come to know, understand, and relate to Jesus. Jesus. The way we know Jesus, understand Jesus, and relate to Jesus is in large part due to the influence of Paul. And so when you start this message today, and what I kind of want you to see and understand is that no matter what you've done in your life, it's unlikely you've done anything as bad as Paul. I I meet people on a regular basis, you know, and then Pastor, or let's say David, you know, I've done done some horrible things, and God's been good to me. And sometimes they'll tell me in their story, like, yeah, you, you did some pretty horrible things. But it's hard to imagine anyone who's ever done the things that Paul did, especially directed towards Jesus. And, you know, to understand Paul's story is to understand that, you know, he was this brilliant young Pharisee. He studied under the leadership of a guy named Gamaliel, who most of you don't know about or care about. He is mentioned in the Bible. Gamaliel was a brilliant teacher. His grandfather was probably the greatest rabbi in the history of all of Judaism outside of Jesus named Hillel, Paul had this phenomenal Jewish education. He was a brilliant man besides that. And Paul set out on the course early of his life as an antagonist towards Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, we see this guy being stoned to death named Stephen. And after Stephen is stoned to death, Luke writes in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, these words. Saul, who we know as Paul, was in hearty or complete agreement with putting him to death. So Saul was all in on putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church that was in Jerusalem. Now, the idea of persecution is to put heavy pressure on. It's a word that speaks of violence towards somebody. And normally, it's the idea of eradicating that person or a system of beliefs or getting them to change their mind. The persecution, it says, began at the church. It was in Jerusalem. Now, we need to understand something about the church in Jerusalem. It was, it was, it was Jewish. But there were two cultures of Jews. There were Hebraic Jews, Jews that had a Hebrew, uh, a thoroughly Jewish cultural background. And then there was what we call Hellenized Jews. Hellenized Jews had, were, were people that usually lived outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. They were Jews that lived in Rome and in the, in, in Europe. They lived in Asia Minor, lived in, in uh, Egypt. And they were influenced by Greek culture. They probably spoke Greek. In the early church, because when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, there were all types of, of, of Jews there from all over the world. Many of the Jews that became believers were Grecian, and so they, they, they began to grow. Stephen was most likely one of these Hellenized Jews. Well, he was most likely. He was a Hellenized Jew. And, and who became a follower of Christ. And so the persecution was really against these people. And because of that, we're told that they began to be scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So, so these Greek-speaking um, Jewish believers were fleeing, uh, all except the apostles. Now, why would the apostles stand? Well, most likely, a couple of reasons. One, they were, they were thoroughly Hebrew in their thinking and their processing, so they weren't really ones being persecuted against, but also they're the apostles. They got to stay and, and get things going. And In in verse 2, we're told this, that some devout men buried Stephen, and they made loud lamentation over him. So they were mourning the death of Stephen. But it says in verse 3 that Paul began ravaging the church. The word ravaging is just a word of totally destroying. It's the idea of a wild boar doing damage. If you've you've ever been from South Texas, where I'm from, and I'm not a hunter, but I know plenty of guys that go hunting, they'll tell you that whenever you're hunting, you've got to watch out for the javelinas. You don't cross paths with the Javelina. The Javelina is just mean. And they'll come at you and they'll tear you apart every chance they get. Every year you read about people dying at the hands or the tusk, I should say, of a Javelina. So he was ravaging the church. He was going from house to house. He'd go to this house and that house. And he would take off the men and women and he would drag them out to put them in prison. This is a violent picture of a man tormenting Christians in Jerusalem from a Greek-cultured background, even though they were Jewish. And so what you have then is you have this type of persecution going on and just damaging the church. This was all within about the first year of the resurrection of Jesus. If we fast forward 35 years, we're in about the year 66 A.D. Paul is in Rome. The emperor of Rome at that time is Nero. Nero was a cruel and sadistic man. In about 64, in the summer of 64, a fire broke out in Rome that burned up about a quarter of Rome. Most people understood, and the historian Tacitus helps us to understand, that the people realized that Nero probably did this in order to build some projects he wanted. He wiped out a poor area of the town. And the people were beginning to rebel, and so Nero blamed the followers of a guy named Christus, or Christ, the Christians. He blamed them for the fires and began to persecute them and began to put them to death. Paul was one of those guys that were caught up in that persecution. Paul was in prison, and in prison he wrote the last letter that we have of his, known as 2 Timothy. He wrote it to Timothy who was at Ephesus. And at the end of that letter, in chapter 4, he says, Timothy, I want you to hear, come. Go grab Mark. And even though they're persecuting Christians, and even though anybody that's associated with me has their life in danger, Timothy, come on and see me, brother. I want you here with me. He says, Demas left me. Demas loves the world. Demas was a close follower, but Demas couldn't handle the pressure, and Demas left. He has sent some other guys away, you know, Tychicus, Titus, Christians. He sent them to do some stuff. Luke was the only one there. And then, in really the final words we have of Paul... Here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. His first defense was not, you know, he had an imprisonment in Rome the first time that we know of in the end of Acts. It's not, that's about 61 AD, it's not the end. The, the first defense is like an arraignment. My first time before the court, this time, there was no one. They, no one supported me, they left me. But I don't count it against them, because I, I understand why it's dangerous says in verse 17, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord was there. Paul says, the Lord strengthened me. He stood with me. So that through me, proclamation might be fully accomplished. He's, he's appearing before the Roman court with the high possibility they're going to put him to death. What is Paul doing? He's doing what he always did. He's proclaiming the gospel so that and that all the Gentiles might hear. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, I want those guys to hear the truth. So he was preaching that all of them might hear. And he says, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. That's an interesting phrase. And there's a debate about what it means. Some of the old-time uh, pastors and old-time commentators say it was the lion's mouth was the mouth of Satan. But, yeah, you know, that's probably a little bit of a stretch. It could be that he was saved from, at that point, Nero. Nero was called the Lion of Rome. But it also could simply be, that he was not yet put to death by being fed to the lions. And I kind of go with that. It doesn't really matter. What he's saying is, this first arraignment, this first time, they didn't put me to death. I was saved out of the lion's mouth. Verse 18 says this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil. Does that mean from all the evil of the persecution? No, because he's saying, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He says, I'm going to heaven. So it's not death that he's talking about, the evil. The evil was the pressure being put on him to renounce his faith. The evil was that that desire they had in persecuting him to renounce Jesus. He said, I'm not falling for that evil. I'm resisting that temptation. And so the Lord's going to deliver me from that. Bring me to the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And those are his last words, other than a few hellos and a few greetings. So... (laughs) You know, just think for a moment about what Paul was doing in that that first passage I read you. He was set out to destroy, destroy the church. And here he was, 35 years later, himself about to be destroyed. Why? Because there came a point in Paul's life when he saw Jesus, who he thought was dead, alive. And one of the amazing things that we sometimes overlook is this. If Paul could become a follower of Jesus, anyone can be a follower of Jesus. Listen, Paul was trying to destroy the Christian church. When Jesus appeared to him, he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He said, your, your, your hatred is directed towards me. Paul hated Jesus and killed people who followed him. If Paul can become a follower of Jesus, anyone can become a follower of Jesus. And with that in mind, understand this, that no one ever had a passion to bring people to Jesus like Paul. It is one of the great, almost ironies of all of Christianity. That this guy who had this unbelievable passion to destroy the followers of Jesus. Ended up being the man who would bring and influence more people to Jesus than anyone but Jesus. If you read the book of Acts, Paul has these three evangelistic journeys. When he goes into the Gentile world, and, and he faces great harm. He faces rejection. They imprison him. They beat him. They run him out of town. They come after his life. He just keeps going and sharing. We have, in the New Testament, 13 books that Paul wrote. We know he wrote more than 13 because we mentioned three others I mentioned. He probably wrote a lot more than that. He, he dealt with all these churches. And these churches had problems and these churches had issues. And Paul just went straight on at him. He talked about the false teachings that went on. He talked about the immoral lifestyles went on. He talked about the need to correct their former church governance. He he talked about all these things. And sometimes he was gentle, and sometimes he just went after them with a sledgehammer. He told one group, you can go to hell if you don't get this straightened out. Paul was that kind of guy. And through it all, every step of his way, Paul was constantly the one who once was the persecutor. Being persecuted himself. Paul's ministry probably, his actual ministry began in about 48 AD. He was saved about 14 years earlier than that. But his work began in about 48 AD and it ended in about 66. So you got about an 18 year period. Right in the middle of that 18 year period, about the fall of 56, Paul was in Macedonia, the area was Philippi, and he wrote what we call the second letter to the church of Corinth. We know it was actually his fourth, because there was two that were never published. But we had his second Corinthians. And in chapter 11, in verse 24, Paul describes what's going on this way. Five times I received from the Jews, five times, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spit in the deep I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from the river, dangers from the robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. And I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. This is just halfway through his ministry. What we know of Paul Is he still going to be imprisoned in in Jerusalem at least once? He's going to be taken out of the temple. They're going to try to kill him. They beat him before they can finish the Romans, save him. Then he's in prison there for two years. Then he goes to be in prison the first time in Rome for two years. On the way, he gets shipwrecked again, and he gets bitten by a snake. And that's not even to mention what happens at the Acts to the end of 2 Timothy. We don't know what happened to him then. Why would he go through all this? Why would he be willing to suffer so much? Because he wanted to see people come to Jesus. And we might ask, why did he care so much about seeing people come to Jesus? Because when Paul was persecuting Jesus and the Jesus followers, he saw the resurrected Christ change his life. And from that moment on, all Paul cared about, was that people would come to Jesus. So I want to share a few things with you about Paul. Before I do, you know, it, it, it's easy to think that sometimes preachers just kind of make stuff up. And some, over the years, have. But one of the things I have learned in, in my almost 40 years of pastoring and ministry is that it's so important that we be absolutely accurate. And so I have always double and triple-checked the things that I shave for accuracy. And uh, we live in a day and age now where especially I need to be careful because you can fact check me while you're sitting there. You know, I can say something. You can pick up your smart device and start checking. I've seen people do that, by the way. I've made a statement. I've seen them pick that phone up and start doing that. And I want you to know I was right, too. Don't you ever think that I make something wrong? I was right every time. Listen, I realize being from Texas that we exaggerate. I get that. We don't make stuff up. That comes from Oklahoma, not Texas. People say I might have offended some folks from Oklahoma, but they, we, they won't get it, so it won't I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I just don't wave at me like that. I got you in the back. Go ahead and write it on the list. Paul was the most influential Christian that ever left. Here's the thing. As important as Peter and James are to our faith today, and they are so important, if the things that Peter and James did, if they had never done it, it wouldn't have changed anything from Paul's perspective. Everything Paul did, he did independently. I mean, listen, Peter preached those great messages, right, that I talked about two weeks ago. And, and then Peter, the, the, as a Jew, went into a Gentile to lead him to Christ. Went to his home to lead him to Christ. That was revolutionary, but it was revolutionary for the Jews, I mean, James, last week we saw, gave these two fantastic statements. Because Paul had brought so many Gentiles to the faith, they had to deal with it. And so James said, hey, listen, don't make it hard for the Gentiles to be saved. Well, that's great. And that's important. And he said, once you come to Christ, go back to your old way of life. That's important, too. But you understand, the things that James and Paul said and did, I and mean, Peter did, had no influence on Paul. So they could have done none of that, and Paul still would have done three evangelistic journeys. All those folks still would have come to Christ, and he still would have wrote all those books, and Christianity today would still look like it does because of Paul. But if Paul didn't do the things he did, Christianity would be drastically changed. We would not look anything like we look now. You cannot overstate this. Without Paul, first of all, there is no Acts 15. There wouldn't need to be in Acts 15, because Gentiles wouldn't be coming in mass to Jesus. There would be no second half of Acts. In fact, there would probably be no book of Acts at all, because Luke, who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke, had his credibility, had his authenticity because of Paul. Luke was a Gentile. And the Jews would have never accepted what Luke wrote as a Gentile. It was only the Gentile believers who ultimately would believe all the things of the quote. That's why it was important. So Luke probably wouldn't have hung out with Paul, and he wouldn't have had access to all that information. He wouldn't have written Luke, and that's the gospel of Luke is so important. It is in Luke's gospel that we have Mary's account of the Christmas story. Without Mary's account of the Christmas story, there's so much stuff we wouldn't know. In fact, as important as Matthew's account of Christmas is, it's not very much most of it comes to Mary. We would not celebrate Christmas. We probably would not even believe in the virgin birth if not for the book of Luke. We wouldn't have the story of the prodigal son. You wouldn't have the story of the thief on the cross. You wouldn't have several of the appearances to Christ. You wouldn't have the book of Acts, which means you would not have the story of the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter two. Without Paul, you wouldn't have the thirteen letters Paul wrote. We would not have our doctrine of justification because Paul developed that. We would not have a proper understanding of sanctification. We would not understand the glory of Christ the way we should. We would not understand grace like we should. We would have nothing about spiritual gifts. Our understanding of the Holy Spirit would be so deficient that he would probably be relegated to a, a demigod or some type of angelic spirit. We wouldn't know about church governance. We wouldn't know about the fruit of the Spirit. We wouldn't have any of that. Christianity would not have become predominantly Gentile. It would have remained Jewish. And the Jews are beginning to reject Jesus. And then in 70 AD, as the Jews were being destroyed, there would have been hardly any Christians left. Christianity would not have spread into Europe. Not to the degree it did. Without going into Europe, Christianity would have not influenced Western culture. The primary moving and shaker of our culture, the Western civilization, is the Reformation. Now people that i don 't believe that i don 't accept that. you go ahead and research it because it is what happened in the Reformation that began the movement of the freedom of thought and a liberal not in a political, social but a classical sense of a liberal education that spurred on the pursuit of science and medicine and mathematics that is born in the Reformation. The Reformation does not exist without Christians. Christians would not have been in Europe, and there would have been no reformation. Without Paul. That is a stone cold reality. And here's the thing. We live in a day today. In an age today. Where there are people who are skeptical. And I get that. People who are agnostic and atheists. And I get that. And, and they say Jesus was never erected, resurrected from the dead. And they'll say, you know, Paul. And they'll criticize Paul as being a racist. And a sexist. And a xenophobe. But understand this. The man you reject is Christ, and the man you condemn as a racist and sexist and a xenophobe. That man, seeing the resurrected Jesus, is the reason you have the culture you have today. To deny the resurrection of Jesus is to deny that Paul saw Jesus alive after he was dead. It is ultimately to deny the very fabric and foundation of the culture in which you live. It is to deny the reality of the experiences you have every day. All that happens because a guy who was out persecuting Christians saw Jesus alive. A man who was trying to destroy the followers of Jesus, get this, saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And Jesus used that man so that the world might have a chance to follow him. And think about it. Of all the people, Jesus chose to advance the Christian cause into the Gentile world, to end up in southern and western Europe, was the very man who was trying to destroy his church. That's how Jesus works. It's called grace. And I know people like to say, well, you know, the church made up all the stories about Jesus, and they made up all the stories of the apostles. Are you kidding me? Who would make that stuff up? Why would they make it up? In fact, I told you three weeks ago, listen, this is not just a bunch of stuff that came out of the third and fourth century in the church. You go back to the very first century. You go back to the times of these guys, and there are documents. Some of them were written by people who weren't followers of Christ who talk about this, Tacitus, I mean, he was a Roman historian and a senator. He talks what Nero did. He talks about the persecution that came on Peter and Paul. I told you last week, Josephus, a Jew, talked about the murder and the the martyrdom of James. Even in the early 2nd century, there are people who talked about the way these guys died. Why would they make that up? I mean, think about it. I, I told you several weeks ago, and I've told you before, Historians today, not just Christian, but historians look at Luke as being an accurate early, early, early period historian, not just church. They look at him as being a reliable witness to things that happened. Luke tells us, he tells us, Paul was killing Christians. He tells us that Paul became a follower. Paul writes in his letters about the things he's done and seen. And people understand, Paul was a real-life person who was a real-life follower of Christ. We know that Paul was killed because of his faith. Why would Paul go from persecuting the church to trying to get people to become part of the church, to killing followers of Christ, to making followers of Christ? Why would Paul do that if Paul had not seen the resurrected Jesus? You and I, we don't see Jesus alive today. And I get that. Paul did. And James did. And Peter did. And they wrote about their experiences. And Luke wrote about their life. And other people outside the New Testament wrote about their death. When, um, Paul comes to the end of Timothy before he says a few final goodbyes. He writes really an amazing line when you think about it. I read it to you earlier. I want to read it to you one more time. To him, Jesus. Jesus who I used to try to persecute his followers. That Jesus who I tried to take his followers and destroy them, his church, and wipe it out through that Jesus who then saved me on that road to Damascus, to that Jesus whom I follow, to that Jesus who has led me to beatings, whippings, imprisonment, starvation, shipwreck, persecution, to the prisons I've been in, and now to the point of death, to Him be the glory, which, by the way, belongs only to God, forever and ever. Then shortly after Paul wrote those words, Nero had him beheaded. I mean, that's an amazing life. That's an amazing story of a man who had one thing happen to him that forever changed his life. When he thought Jesus was dead, he saw Jesus alive. There was a whole bunch of people who saw Jesus. and Three of them, Peter, James, and Paul, changed the Christian movement and in many ways changed the world all because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And because they saw the resurrected Jesus, All three men would be killed because of that. And here's the amazing thing. One, Peter denied Jesus. One, James rejected Jesus. And one, Paul persecuted Jesus. But Jesus saved them anyways. And he changed their life. And if Jesus can save them and change their life, He can save you and change your life. But you have to be willing to give your life to him. Now you can say, wait a minute, those guys had an advantage. They saw him alive. It doesn't matter. You have their stories. You have their accounts. You have their experience. You have their words. You have no excuse. If you've never trusted Christ to be your savior. You need to give your life to him. You need to trust him to save you. He will change your life. He will save you from your sin. He will save you from a rebellion. There's nothing you can do so bad that Jesus won't save you. We know that because he saved Paul. So just a moment, when we have our invitation. There'll be people here. If you want to come and tell one of us, I really want to give my life to Jesus, we invite you to do that. If you don't want to come forward, Take that little connect card right on there. I want to give my life to Christ. Put it in the basket when it comes by or, or catch us after the service. Or there will be a number up on the screen in a minute. You can text that number. But here's the thing. When, when all is said and done, what, what the only thing that really matters in life is whether you trust Jesus. I and mean, one day, you're going to stand before him. And for all that you've lived and for all that you've done and for all that's happened, Jesus is going to want to know one simple thing. Did you follow him? Yes or no? Walk out of here today. Say yes. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we have. And for the story of Paul, which is an amazing story. And Father, for the simple fact that Jesus in his grace chose to save Paul, so that Paul could influence the world. And all of us can be here. Because of that. And all of us can follow Jesus. Just like Paul. So it's my prayer. That those who do not follow us Christ at this moment. Will now give their life to Jesus and trust him as Savior. And follow him. Something that can only be done by your grace. And your mercy. And we ask this. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand? If you want to come forward, we'll be here.